Uh, I'm going to dive into the last part of this very quick series that we're doing called Why We Tithe. And if you've not, not been around in terms of churches in a while, maybe you, uh, maybe you don't know the answer to that question. Maybe that's something that uh, I'll share with you this morning as a recap from last week and then uh, where I'm focusing on today. Um, but for, on, you know, for all intents and purposes, we don't take for granted that everybody knows what these things mean in terms of church words. Like, you know, people don't know what the tithe is and they don't know how to, uh, they don't understand why people do it and they don't really understand that they weren't raised in the same churches maybe that you were raised in. And so uh, we take time throughout the year to kind of address it. And we want to address it as plainly, as deeply, and as practically as we possibly can to help you understand the fullness uh, of what we mean. So last week, just to give you a quick recap, you know, in order to make this statement, why we tithe, we had to ask the question, why do we? Why do we tithe? And the answer to that question is pretty simple. Uh, most of us don't. Okay, so most of us don't. I don't mean most of us in this room. I mean most believers nowadays in terms of a massive shift in the last 10 to 20 years in terms of Christians on average uh, do not tithe, do not actually do that. Some give, okay, some give, whether that's tipping God on the way out the door, or putting 10 in the plate or whatever the case is. Like there's all sorts of different ways you can give online and recur some things and you can... Um, uh, you know, someone makes you feel guilty about a, a you know charity, and you give to that. And you know, you, some people give, and there is a sense of that, but very few people actually tithe. And that word tithe, as I talked about last week, is really just a Hebrew word which stood for the tenth uh, that they represented that belonged back to God. And so we we again, I talked about all that last week. I'm not going to go into all uh, of that, but it seemed to be that money was a pretty important thing. And in terms of our scriptures, in terms of the Word of God, it seems to address it a lot. Last week I shared some statistics with you that Jesus spoke more about this uh, in the Gospels than he did about heaven or hell. Um, in, the, in the Bible as a whole, um, there's only about 500 verses uh, directly, specifically talking about prayer or faith. And there's 2,000 plus verses dealing with money and how we view money and how God sees money. And so it's a big deal in terms of how we see this. Jesus knew this when Jesus came and spoke. And again, the Gospels are filled with lots of teaching on this. He knew that we were going to struggle, struggle to understand this, struggle to live by this. And so he actually had to remind his people a lot. This is one of the theme verses of our series from Luke 16. If you want to open it up in your Bible, I'll read it from the screen as well. Um, this is from the NLT translations. It says, if you're faithful, and little things, this is Jesus speaking, you'll be faithful in large ones, but if you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. If you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, meaning the stuff that we collect down here, then who will trust you with the true riches of heaven, that spiritual blessing? And if you are not faithful with other people's things, in terms of being a steward, a manager, then why should you be trusted with things of your own? Like, like how does that work? If you go back, uh, you keep going in verse 16, it says, no one can serve two masters. He, Jesus is just making it real clear, real, real one or the other. It says, for you will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. And then maybe you've heard this taught before where Jesus says, um, you cannot serve God. And maybe you've heard it say, serve money. But I love the way the NLT says that you cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Now, most of us would, you know, we find gray areas in Scripture, and we would never look at this as a simple one or the other as Jesus has said it. And for most of us, we would not agree that we are slaves to money 
or serve money. We would never say that. But the reality is, is that what we are oftentimes slave to is we are slave to the promises that money gives us. We are slave to, to the idea of control over our lives. We are slaves to the idea of comfort and happiness in our life. We are slaves to the idea of financial security and safety in our life. We are slaves to those things, which means we are actually enslaved by what we believe money is the root of terms of what it promises in terms of that. And so God, since the beginning of time, knew that this was going to be an issue, so he created a system. He created a system, and I use the word system intentionally. He created a system of priority and response. Priority meaning that we're going to have priorities in our life. Who comes first? First things first, like we talked about a couple weeks ago in our series. And response in terms of gratitude, in terms of giving back to God, in terms of worship. And he did that through tithes and offerings. And again, last week, I shared with you the two words that I like to use, and I'm going to have you do what I did last week, which is kind of drill this into your head. You're gonna, you're not, you don't remember anything today. You're going to remember these two words. When it comes to the priority and response, the two words I like to use in terms of why we tithe is obedience and gratitude. Let's read it out loud. Obedience and gratitude. You're going to have to read a little louder than that. Are you guys ready? Let's read. Obedience and gratitude. Obedience and what? Gratitude. Yeah, gratitude and what? Yeah, it's not just a law. It's not just a rule. It's not just something to, to kind of guilt you over, help you feel shame over uh, in terms of the way God, God commands you and you, you lie in a bunch of thieves and thieving from, you know, it's not just that. It's not just gratitude and generosity and grace and whatever flows out of the goodness of your heart and pours out to others. That's great. The problem is, is that we sometimes will lean one way or the other. And the reality is, is it's both. It's both obedience and gratitude. We were visiting with my family, my wife's family, last weekend, and we were talking about the series. And uh, my, my, my sister-in-law from Raleigh, they have a great church in Raleigh, and their old pastor uh, gave them something that she, was so funny. She was so proud that she remembered it. And so she was like, oh yeah, our old pastor used to say, uh, tithe is the debt we owe and giving is the seed we sow. Okay? Tithing is the debt we owe and giving is she, just something that, that they as a church remembered. That listen, there is an aspect of obedience there is a, there's something that belongs to God. So they're saying, hey, tithing is the debt we owe. And they said, but giving is a seed we sow. It's, it's something that we do that sort of sows generosity in us, and it sows good things around us. It sows uh, you know, generosity in others as well. So tithing is this, and giving is this. We have obedience and gratitude. It's a, it's a priority issue, and it's a response issue. Most of us continue to struggle. And that's primarily because of how we, again, not enslaved to money, but maybe enslaved to, the, to, to what money gets us or the way, the way money we view money in our lives. And so I gave you this practical example last week. It still uh, applies today that the way most of us do this, now this is, uh, represents God, my Biblehead Jesus. Uh, this is not sacrilegious. It's just all I had. Okay, so this represents God and this represents our life. And most of us, um, even the best planners, you know, the planners that we are, most of us try to make this work. We try to figure out some way to give if we have a heart that wants to give. And so um, we try to manage our money. We, we, we all agree in terms of even what Scripture says. We believe that we should all like live and eat indoors, right? Amen? That, that's, that's, that's true. Okay, so we're going to have to have money that goes uh, to that. We believe in terms of Scripture, the way it's um, uh, written, that we should have money put aside. We should take care of our future. We should uh, invest and have savings and and, and all that kind of thing, the piggy bank. Well, we're going to have to have medical stuff, whether that's you're young and you're just paying premiums or you're older and you're, 
using premiums, you know, you're, you're paying a lot more, so there's my ambulance. Uh, we all have that. Some of us have kids, and kids, oh, they just cost money, 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 okay? So, so you know, to clothe them and feed them and to yeah, take them on all their sports and all their recreation, you know, kids cost uh, money. You know, no matter where you are in terms of even your car, your car is going to cost you something, right? Your car is going to cost something. It doesn't matter whether you're making payments on a white SUV. That's usually what happens in uh, Lake Norman, right? A white SUV. But, uh, you know, we want to have, we got to have time, room for something, whether it's repairs on an old car or payments on a new car, right? Which is going to cost us something. And then we do want to still enjoy some of life. So we have some of our uh, recreations and sports and things for us and the kids and what we enjoy, what they enjoy, recreation. Uh, we want to be able to travel some. So oftentimes we'll go and and go on the weekends and visit places and, you know, save up for those big things we want to do, you know, in terms of big vacations a year. Hey, the better the economy goes in terms of statistics, the more we travel, right? The more we travel, the better the economy is, the more feel safe we feel in terms of uh, traveling. We want to have fun money too. This is my Olaf. This is my fun money right here, right? We want to go to movies. We want to enjoy parties. We want to be able to enjoy some things uh, together. And we try to make all of this work and try to give some, but what usually ends up happening is we don't usually have much left to give. And that's not the system that God created. The God, the God created a system where we're going to give the tenth, we're going to give the tithe first and foremost to God. And instead of us worrying about how we're going to make the rest work, we come to the place we were last week, which is just understanding that God is really the one who makes it work. God is really the one who makes it all work. And when he does, and I shared, told you I was going to leave some with this this week, when he does, what usually happens is we have some left over. In times of plenty, in times of abundance, we usually have some left over. And we can't make that work. Most of the time, uh, when you've heard people share stories, it doesn't make sense on paper, but God does do the work that he only can do, which is when we're obedient to him, obedience and what? Oh, see, it's pop quiz all day. Obedience and what? Yeah, gratitude and what? Yeah, when we do it out of obedience and gratitude, he just seems to make it work. And so today, I want to talk a little bit about some of the benefits we get to experience when God makes it work. Last week, we talked about the, the baseline structure of this, why it's, why it's called this, what it means. Today, I want to talk about how it affects us and how it affects the kingdom of God. Now, if you look at the whole, again, you can study this through all of the Old Testament and the New Testament in many different ways. I'm going to try to choose a few passages that sort of biggest bang for your buck, so to speak. It's, it's the stuff that I usually like to go back to because there's a lot of definition and explanation in just a few stories that really echo in all of Scripture. But when you see in terms of Scripture, when you see you know, the words talked about in terms of first fruits and tithes and offerings, you'll oftentimes see two words associated with them. And one word is blessed, and another word is cursed. Blessed or cursed. Now, we believe in terms of God's ideals and instructions and Scripture that he wants to bless his people. That's, I mean, that's, that's something I really do believe is true. But we have to at least, and this is one of the reasons most churches don't teach a very healthy version of this, is they don't know how to reconcile when God talks about the curses that, that are in the Old Testament and, and, and what happens there and what happens with the blessing thing. Like, you know, the curses we don't understand, so we don't talk about it. And the blessings, most prosperity teachers take the blessings and want to attach their own sort of Western version outcomes to those blessings. 
And we get an unhealthy teaching on both ends. So my desire today is just talk through. What does it mean when the Scripture talks about being cursed? And what does it mean when the Scripture promises and delivers this idea of God wanting to bless, especially in this area? Let's talk about the curse at first, for, first and foremost. To be under God's curse was sometimes described in the Old Testament that God was sort of against you. You were living outside of God's commands. You were living outside of God's laws. And therefore, you were, you were going to experience something from God. The problem is, is that it's usually mixed in with the systems that God created. Systems like sowing and reaping. Systems like the tithe and offerings. Like There were systems that God created that you just, by simply saying, okay, God said, here's the ideals and instructions. Here's what I want you to do. And everybody went, oh, that's great. Now we're not going to do that and they went and did something else, they oftentimes were just living out the consequences, the consequences of living outside of God's instructions. So the curse that they were experiencing most of the time was either one or the other, or most of the time a combination of both, where it was like they were just experiencing consequences of not doing what God called them to do, and sometimes a prophet would reveal if God himself was also working against them. One of my favorite passages that sort of helps explain this is the passage in Haggai. This is a time in which God's people, through the prophet Haggai, is helping them understand that, look, you were told to go back to the homeland. You were told to go back and build God's house. They were given resources. They were given money. They were given freedom to return to their homeland and do what God called them to do. The problem was they weren't exactly doing what God told them to do. So the prophet has to come and speak. God has to speak through the prophet to help them understand why it is they're struggling the way they're struggling. It says, this is what the Lord of the heavens army says. The people are saying, so God's kind of putting putting in mouth what the people were saying, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. It's not time yet. And the Lord sent this message through the prophet Haggai. So, so God's basically saying, okay, the people are saying that it's, it's not time yet to build the house. And he goes on and says, then why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? This is what the Lord of the Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. This is how God is trying to help explain to them what's going on. You have planted much but harvested little. You eat but are not satisfied. You drink but you're still thirsty. You put on clothes, but you cannot keep warm. Now, I know there's some people that still struggle with that, and that's okay, okay? But this is an honest-to-goodness, like, description of what's going on. You put on clothes, but you can't keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. Can you nod your head if you've ever lived in that moment where you felt that way? You're putting your wages in pockets that you feel like are just going out just as fast. He says, you hope for rich harvest, but they were poor, and when you brought in your harvest, when you brought your harvest home, I blew it away. This is where God is actively involved in this. Why? Because my house lies in ruins, said the Lord of Heaven's armies, while all of you are busy building your own fine houses. See, there was a priority issue there. It's because of, what's the word? Yeah, he's making it very clear. This is a consequence of your actions. Because of you, the heavens withhold their due, and the earth produces no crops. 
because of you, because of you choosing to live this way. I've called for a drought on your fields and hills, a drought to wither the grain and grapes and olive trees and all your other crops, a drought to starve you and your livestock to ruin everything you've worked so hard to get. God actively moving in their life. So when I look at this, this is another one of the reasons I love translations is um, if you look at the message paraphrase by Eugene Peterson, the message paraphrase of that whole chapter when he starts talking about here's, what, here's why you're experiencing what you're experiencing, the, the phrase that I love is, he, is, is Eugene Peterson says, where God says, hey, I've matched your stinginess. I've matched your stinginess. That's why you're experiencing what you're experiencing. Man, I just, and, that, and really, that could be the shortest message we've ever taught here at Journey. Let's just leave it there, right? Let's just leave it there. Let's just say that, look, that seems awfully fair. So from now on, when you pray, from now on, when you ask God to bless you, just say, listen, God, I want you to bless me as much as I've blessed you. God, I want you to, 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 to work and bless my children the way that I work to bless other children in the house of God. God, I want you to step in and be active and moving in my business as I'm also actively working and moving in your kingdom business. God, I want you to give me more and match what I give you. That would change. I mean, that seems fair, but most of us do not want God to be fair. Nod your head if you're, you're with me, right? You don't want God to be fair. But it seems fair because in, in line of this idea of curse, I want you to think through just consequence. We all experience either the full degree of consequences for our actions or praise God by the mercy of Jesus, we only get to experience a little bit of them, okay? But there's still consequences for the things we do. And that's why this whole thing, this whole description of, you know, blessing versus being cursed or living in a curse is that when you choose to live outside of God's law, when you choose to live outside of his instructions, he told us how to get there. He gave us a system, an ironclad system that has predictable outcomes that has rules we can follow, and said, if you do it, this is what happens. If you don't do it, you're going to be sort of settling for the scraps and not living into the fullness of what I've, I've given you. But you're actually going to be living under a curse. You're going to be living in this world of consequences because you're choosing to do it outside of me. And again, God does not want to do that. He wants to bless us. And again, this is where we get a little bit of trouble. We want to throw out all the, you know, because the prosperity teaching sort of says you give God a dollar or something in there about giving a hundredfold back. Amen. You know? And the problem is we want to throw out the, the scriptures because somehow there's, there's some tainting to it. There's some, there's some, you know, unhealthy theology being attached to we're promising outcomes in our Western world of wealth to the promises of Scripture, and we don't need to do that, but we don't need to throw out the Scripture because the Scripture is still true. There's still power in the Word of God when he says, oh, I want to bless you. It's true. And one of the great, again, another passage I love to go back to is, is a description of what that looks like in terms of how God blesses us and how he blesses us for his work, for his purposes. This is another time when the, the, the people of Israel are not living according to God's plan. And they're experiencing some economic recession and they're struggling through what they feel like is a curse. 
And Hezekiah is the king at the time. And Hezekiah, they're reading the word of God in the street out loud. And as Hezekiah, the king, listens, he's beginning to hear the system that God created with, fruit, with first fruits and tithes and offerings. And he says, you know what? We're not doing that. So he commands the high priest and the people to follow the instructions of God. And here's where, where we pick up. It says, when the people of Israel heard the requirements, again, obedience and gratitude, they responded generously by bringing the first of their share of grain and wine and olive oil and honey and all the produce of their fields. They brought a large quantity, a tithe of all they produced. The people who had moved to Judah from Israel and the people of Judah themselves, they all brought in the tithes of their cattle and sheep and goats and a tithe of the things that had been dedicated to the Lord their God. And they piled them up in great heaps. They began piling them up in the late spring. And the, what's the word? Say it out loud. Yeah, heaps. I want you to remember that word, okay? And the heaps continued to what? Yeah, the heaps continued to grow until early autumn. And when Hezekiah and his officials came back and saw these huge pile, these heaps, they thanked the Lord and his people Israel. Then he said, where did all this come from? He's talking to the high priest. He's like, where did all this come from? Hezekiah asked the priests and Levites. And Azariah, the high priest from the family of Zadok, he replied. This is his reply. He says, since the people began bringing in their gifts, you know, doing what you, you, you told us to do, what God told us to do, we have had, what's the words? Enough to eat and what? Plenty to spare. Like since we've been doing this, God's been blessing his people. We've had enough to eat. We've had plenty to spare. The Lord has, what's the word? Yeah. The Lord has blessed his people. Oh, and by the way, all these this heaps, all the heaps, all of this is what? Yeah, all of this is left over. See, the heaps aren't what God has blessed us with because we have already been blessed. As people began to do what God called them to do, he's like, we've had enough to eat, we've had enough to do, we've had plenty to share, plenty to spare with others, and yet we still have heaps and heaps left over because of what God told us to do. And listen, this is for me, this is, there's no two, better, no two better words to really kind of help describe God's design for blessing. And that is enough and plenty. Because no matter where you travel in this world, no matter what age you study in terms of historical Christianity, when they talked about the blessing of God in their life, it's not compared to our Western ideal of money and wealth and resources. No, everything across the board is always addressed in the idea like, well, we had enough. There were times where things were hard. There were times where things were lean, but we obeyed God and we had a heart of gratitude and we had enough. And there were also times of heaps. There were times of abundance. There were times of those where we didn't just have enough. We had plenty to spare, plenty to share. Some conversations I have with people in terms of this, in terms of the blessing and the curses and how God works with money and tithing and all that, some conversations I've had with people, have been, they've been raised to a certain degree that, that, well, this is an Old Testament thing. This is a theological, you know, construct that was created in the contract version of God's plan, and that's not how the New Testament does it, and that's not how the church should do it, and that's not, that's not the same anymore. And here's the problem. 
Again, when you start attaching outcomes to things, you can get really messed up in terms of reading Scripture. When you just look at what Scripture says in terms of how it teaches what it teaches in terms of what God created, this is not an Old Testament thing. Jesus addresses it several different ways in the Gospels. The most famous way and the most famous sermon that most people hear in terms of this is from Matthew 25. And it's a, it's a message where G- Jesus tells a parable. He, tells, he talks about a king, a master, who goes away and he gives his, his servants uh, all something different. He gives them all some resources, some things that, uh, talents is what it's called. And he says, I'm going to give you five and I'm going to give you two and I'm going to give you one. I want you to enjoy these and use these and, and go do something with them. And so they do. The one with five goes out and does five. He's enjoying what God, the, the master gave him. And, and, and he's also seeing plenty to come. He's seeing more to spare. And he, and he actually gains five more. The one with two goes and enjoys and goes and leverages it and actually gets two more. But the guy with one didn't enjoy it at all. He just took it and he buried it. Now, when Jesus describes the conversation that happens when the master comes back, because we're all accountable to the master, he describes the conversation and he says, to the one that had five and the one that had two, he gives the same response. The master says, and he was full of praise, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling the small amount. Now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's party. That's what he says, right? He's like, listen, not only have you enjoyed it, not only have you got to use what I gave you, not only did you see it grow, did you see it multiply, I'm going to now bless you with even more. And the one that had one that didn't enjoy it, didn't use it, did nothing with it. The master responds. And he says, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate. This is his excuse, by the way. He says, why didn't you at least deposit my money in the bank? At least it could have gotten some interest. And he goes on and says, any order, take the money from this servant. And give it to the one who had 10 bags of silver. To those who use well what they're given, even more will be given. And to those who have, they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. And then he tells them to cast the guy into outer darkness where, there's, where the worms won't die. And that's either a description of hell or a description of the dump outside Jerusalem. I don't really know. Because actually both are used to describe the dump outside Jerusalem and hell. All I know is it sure does sound an awful lot like blessing and curse. Nod your head if you're with me, right? God seems to still bless when we use what we've been given and follow his instructions and do what he's asked us to do. And he seems to still curse when we choose not to. Sure doesn't seem like an Old Testament thing. It seems like a God thing. Again, a system with predictable outcomes, with rules you can bank on, an ironclad system that he gave you instructions to follow so that you could receive everything he wanted you to receive. Whether in times of of abundance, with plenty to spare, or whether in times of struggle and storm, God will always be enough and will always provide enough for you. Everybody with me? Now, this is part of what we read last week as to part of the blessing that we receive. It's a heart of generosity. It's obedience and what? 
So you're going to fail the test. Okay, obedience and? Yeah, gratitude and? God uses these things to create generosity in us when we actually are generous. But there's also other things at work. There's other things that get to happen that we get to be a part of. This is Paul to the church in, in Corinth. He said, God will generously provide all you need, and when you always will have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. And he says, God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and bread to eat, meaning he's involved in both parts of this. He's involved in the, the, the giving it to you, and he's also involved in what happens when you give it away. In the same way, now I'll go back. Sorry, I'm, I stopped in the middle. In the same way, he'll provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Keep going. Yes, you'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous. And when, you take your, when we take your gifts to those in need, they will thank God. Because this is an offering that he's taking specifically to the church in Jerusalem. He says, two good things come from this result in the ministry of giving. The needs of believers in Jerusalem are met. And they will joyfully express their thanks to God. See, two things happen when you, when you are a part of this plan. You do get personally blessed. That's you. You get to live and enjoy and, and experience all the graciousness that, that, the, that the master gives you. You get to see abundance. You get to see it grow. But you also get to be a part of the work of blessing others. You get to be a part of the work of ministering to others. So, you know, just this week, I asked several of the folks in our church um, to just respond this week, just give a quick testimony about why they tithe. And what, what, is God, what have they seen God do in the midst of them tithing? Well, I was expecting about four or five responses. I got 20, okay? So thank you so much if you sent a response. I got 20. I was overwhelmed. And the reality was there was no way for me to give this all to you that you would not look at it and be overwhelmed. And so I just put one sheet. There's four parts. There's four different sheets uh, available to you. I put one sheet where you're sitting so you could read some of the stories of our people. These are partners at our church. Their words, not mine. And you'll read a lot of the same things. You'll read, look, I, I decided to start giving. God was faithful when I began. Things weren't always great. I was tempted often to sway and to waver. But God has never not provided in times of plenty and in times of struggle. I encourage you to read these or pick, them up, pick all four up from around the seed, and there's some out in the lobby as well. If you want to read what, what our journey partners have to say, not me, but what they have to say in terms of their testimony of how this has worked for them. Because it is his design to bless you enough and plenty. But there's this amazing thing. I want to go back to the heaps thing. You guys remember the heaps thing we talked about? I want to go back to the heaps thing. Because there is a, a part of this that when we are all obedient and we express that heart of gratitude back to God with our gifts, with our tithes and offerings. Listen, God's work gets to be done in an incredible way. And I wanted to show you visibly how this works on this table. And once I did the numbers, it wasn't going to work. I was going to kill too many trees printing up these, these mat dollars for, you know, for, for there to be too much of a, uh, for me to show you the fullness of this uh, explanation. So I'm going to do pictures on the screen instead. This is you. This is your tithe. Again, $5,000 a month. Could take you two months to make that. Could take you two weeks to make that. Who knows? But just on an average, just saying $5,000 a month, the tithe is $500. That's a tenth. That we're called in obedience and gratitude to give back to God. 
right now, in terms of our church, in terms of journey, last year, 2019, our average month was about $67,000 total. Average month. And that's not broken up over like, you know, 12 or 15 people. That's broken up over almost 150 people giving. And so there's a lot less coming in, obviously, in terms of national statistics, but, but that's, that's what we currently see. There's what it could be, and here's what we currently see. Now, what would happen if everyone, every one of our partners, actually understood this principle and began to give in obedience and gratitude? Well, again, you'd see you, you'd see your part, because your part plays a part. But not only what we currently see, but if every one of our partners actually got this, just using this medium income, it'd be $177,000 more a month. $177,000 more per month. Just to do some quick math for you, that's $1.26 million more a year to accomplish the work he's called us to do. This is what is happening, and this is what should be happening in terms of God getting a hold of us, not just for us to experience the blessing of God, but for God to use you and to use this church to be a blessing to those he's called us to bless. And that's not even all of it, because that's a, that's a pretty good size heap. But what would happen if we had all we currently have and all of our partners began to tithe? What would happen if all those who attended our church began to tithe? All those people who show up once a month, show up once every once in a while, who call Journey their home, they don't go to any of their church. What would happen if God got a hold of their heart and they began to tithe? Yeah, that'd be another $280,000. Everybody's starting to see the heap that could happen. Okay, we look at Old Testament scriptures and we don't get cattle and we don't get olive oil and we don't get fruits and berries in heaps in a, in a big heap. But we would understand if God's church had a half a million dollars a month to give locally and to give globally and to meet needs that no one else is currently meeting right now. Oh, we would get that. We would see the heaps then. Because not only would we be personally being blessed with enough and plenty, we would also get to see the leftover. We would get to see what God wants to do through all of us. But it's up to you. It's up to you. It's not up to me. It's really not up to me. I can make it as plain as day. I can give you the scripture. I can plead with a, with a concerned voice. But ultimately, it's up to you. Jesus said it this way. Give and you will receive. He's talking a lot about judgment and grace and forgiveness and, and money. He's talking about several things because, again, it's a system. The reaping and sowing is a system that he created. He's going to honor the system he created. He says, look, when you give, you will receive. And the way God makes it work is he said, your gift's going to return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. That's how he makes it work, by the way. I have, no, I have no magic formulas for God, but that's, that's Jesus describing it the best he possibly can. He makes it work. The amount you give, what's the two words? It will determine the amount you get back. 
What you sow will determine what you reap. I'm not going to give you any outcomes. I'm not going to try to promise you anything other than the fact that Jesus said, this is how the system works. Period. Give and you receive. Obey my instructions, you'll be blessed. Whether it's in times of abundance, you'll have plenty to share with others. Or in times of struggle and hardship, I promise you, I will be enough for you and continue to bless you. That's his promise. So what are you waiting for? Well, what are you waiting for? You'll, you'll read in all these stories, people uh, sharing their own testimony of, of, well, you know, I heard a message like, like the one last week, and, you know, God said, test me, and I, so they began to test him. And God was faithful, and God met them, and they never looked back, and they never wavered, even though times were not always good. So the question is, what are you, you waiting for? What are, what's blocking you from being able to receive everything God wants for you? Whether you're, in, whether you're right now, you're really not struggling, and that's fine. But you might still be settling for the scraps in life than, than compared to what God might have for you. What if you're living under the curse right now because you continue to do things outside of God's will for your life? All it takes is for you to take a step towards God. He will meet you there. Because when you give, you will receive back. What are you waiting for? What's it going to take for you to get over those stumbling blocks that you have placed in your life that are keeping you from experiencing the personal blessing of God and keeping you from being a part of of what the kingdom work of God he wants to do in and through you and through the church. If you don't remember anything else, just remember the call for us to give back to God is a priority in our life and it's a response that we give to him. It's obedience and what? Yeah. It's gratitude and what? Let's pray. Father God, I'm so thankful that you are faithful to the promises you've made. And God, we don't always see how things are going to work out. And sometimes, God, we get really stuck in our right now moment thinking. But the reality is, is that, God, for as long as I've followed you, there have been many, many years of my life where I was enslaved to money that my pursuit of control and my pursuit of security and my pursuit of happiness enslaved me. I wanted to serve you, but it enslaved me to, to my money, to the promise of money. God, I'm thankful for the multiple moments, not one moment, the multiple moments and the people in my life that you have brought to me to help change the way I think, I see, I understand this system that you created. And God, I can't, whether, my, whether it's been times, lean times, or times of abundance, God, I'm faithful to say and proclaim every day that you have always been enough for me. You have always had opportunities to be able to create plenty in my life that I was able to share with others. Even when I didn't think I had anything left to give, you created more. 
God, you're so faithful. And I'm just praying for everyone in this room today, God, that they would begin to work through the stumbling blocks they have put in their life, that they are not receiving the full blessing of you. They're struggling physically. They're struggling emotionally. They're struggling uh, mentally. They're struggling um, financially. Because, God, for whatever reason, they're not experiencing the fullness of what you have for them. And God, maybe it's a time, a lean time, and, and those are different. But God, I pray for anyone that currently feels like they're, they're in the curse, that they would begin to pray through what does it look like to move and to follow you and to return to you with a heart of obedience and a heart of gratitude. God, that's my prayer for everyone here, that they would understand the truth of the statement we sang, which is you change everything. When you get involved, you change everything. Jesus, we're trusting that if, that if people take a step towards you, that you will meet them there. God, thank you for the testimonies of the partners this week that have shared. God, it's, just, it's because of them the journey exists. It's because of them and their faithfulness to obey and, and a heart of gratitude to you, to give back to you, that this church has been here available to do the work you've called us to do. But God, there is so much more that we could do if we would begin to be obedient to what you've called us to. That's my prayer this morning for those this morning, for those who were here earlier, for those who are watching later. God, would your spirit move in power to convince us of this truth. We pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.